Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Riccaro and we are keeping score at an incredible time in global history. We will bring you up to date on a regular basis, all things coronavirus, business, legal, deal making, anything you want to know about the $1.3 trillion business of sports now reduced to tatters, but it'll recover like everything else in the economy. Let's look at the deals this week. Three to one. Number three, and maybe most important, the first study out, performance research study, a Rhode Island-based agency focused on major nationally recognized American sports called off through April. The BMP Paribas, Miami Open, the tennis tournaments, NASCAR, Indy, Kentucky Derby, NCAA Final Four. It didn't factor in local sports and college games, and it amounted for non-sporting events such as Coachella and Broadway shows they included, and the economic impact of this pandemic within the festival, conference, and sports industry, according to the study, staggering. Six billion dollars in that month alone. Obviously, also revenue for local businesses by bringing in thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of attendees to the host cities, create a ripple effect in the community and economies for a long time to come. And according to the study, the costliest postponement was the NBA's regular season, a billion dollars in losses for the economy. That's number three, could be obviously number one. Number two, on what would have been the league's official 2020 opening day, MLB players and owners struck a deal on salary and service time issues as they prepare for a delayed and potentially canceled season. According to ESPN, the players agreed in advance of $170 million over the next two months, less than an aggregate 4% of their salaries in a full season, and prorated salaries for however many games end up being played if the season is canceled The players keep the advance but cannot sue for the remainder of their salaries. And in exchange, the owners agree to credit players with as much service time for 2020 as they compiled in 2019, even if the players were on IR last year, and even if the 2020 season is canceled, which positively affects arbitration and free agency for the players. And as part of the deal, MLB now has the right to shorten the 2020 draft to five rounds in the 2021 draft to 20 rounds, down from the usual 40, and undrafted players would have their signing bonuses capped at 20,000, which could result in a record number of players opting to stay in school. And that's number two. Number one, Japan's economy could lose up to 700 billion euros and about $6 billion due to the postponement until next July, Goldman Sachs estimated Japan would lose out in about $5 billion in inbound and domestic consumption if the Tokyo Games did not go ahead as scheduled. They will, but they'll go ahead a year later. We need to keep in mind the perspective here, according to Goldman Sachs' chief strategist, is that according to our economics team, the Olympics alone was only forecast to boost GDP by 0.2 percentage points. In the grand scheme of things, the Japanese overall impact is not that large. Keep that perspective in mind, postponement versus cancellation. That's all people want to talk about, and this week we're lucky enough to have the best. 
Frank Sapovitz, a veteran event organizer of more than 200 major events over the past 25 years. His credits include civic celebrations, mega concerts, festivals, parades, and some of America's most watched sporting events worldwide. From 2005 to 2014, he led the National Football League's events department, managing such award-winning events as the Super Bowl and the NFL Draft. Prior to his tenure with the NFL, he piloted the National Hockey League's event group for 13 years, was a principal in a New York mega event production company, and served Radio City Music Hall as its director of special events. His credentials are amazing. His perspective even better. Frank Zipovitz. Sports Professor Rick Haro inside the boardroom, beyond the scoreboard. The $1.3 trillion business of sports. I wonder if it's capital B or small b now that 25 to 35% of it has been quote-unquote postponed, canceled, wiped out, whatever you might want to call it. We have the definitive expert on mega events and what it means to postpone, cancel, and get it back at the back end, economic impact and otherwise. Uh, three pieces of very important credibility for Frank Sapovitz. First, he was the director of special events, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, all the special events at the NFL for hundreds of years. He'll tell you specifically how many. Second, an accomplished author, including most recently, What do, when, what do You Do When Things Go Wrong? A five-step guide to planning for the surviving, the inevitable, coming out ahead, uh, must read given our current circumstance. And third, a really, really good friend. In inverse order, by the way. How's that? <laughs> Sounds good. Good. Uh, so how many years? So if you, were, you have been, you were the Super Bowl and special events guru at the NFL for so many years. Fill in so many. Uh, for 10 years. And, and prior to that, 13 years doing the same job for the National Hockey League. And obviously, your fast traffic company, which we didn't talk about at all, has been a go-to company to put on and maintain and implement special events, Indy 500, on and on and on. Uh, talk a little bit first, Frank, if you don't mind, about the NFL and Super Bowl experience, uh, what it was like to be the captain of a ship that everybody in the world was looking at. Well, it was an incredible responsibility and, and, uh, and a wonderful um, you know, career experience, clearly, but it, it really drove home for me how much events are these giant, detail-laden projects. Uh, it's like any other project that you would do if you were the executive in charge of marketing or bringing a new product uh, to market for any number of companies, whether it's a, a food company or, or a pharmaceutical company or an insurance company. It was really about launching an entirely new product or an entirely new uh, activation every year, and it took years and years to put it together. Super Bowls generally uh, were planned on a four-year uh, planning cycle, so you were working on three or four in different cities each year and just an enormous amount of complexity, not just the game, but everything from traffic and security to, you know, major parties and fan festivals and crowd control and, you know, you name it. It was just a, an, an enormous undertaking. And obviously did the same thing for the NFL. And then you learned 
the ins and outs of doing these kinds of things and built it into a business. Uh, what are some of the the commonalities among the world's biggest events, the risks, the rewards, the implementation, et cetera? It's the partnerships that you, that you strike with cities and venues and even the, the fans that buy tickets and come to these events. You, you have to take into account what everybody's looking for uh, in, in, in hosting these, these mega events because they are – not only incredibly complicated, not only incredibly labor-intense, um, and, and not only great experiences, but they're, they're also incredibly inconvenient for cities. They, they disrupt the pattern of activity. Uh, a Super Bowl comes around, if we look at, at Miami last year, you know, it's been 10 years since Miami had a Super Bowl. So most of the people who worked on it, by the way, including me, hadn't worked on the last one. So you're kind of reinventing the wheel and you're making, so you're making a lot of mistakes along the way and there's a lot of trial and error. Uh, so you really do need the partnership of everyone. Uh, so as you start to, to fit the parts and pieces together, you know, we're all working together as one toward a common goal. Frank Sapovitz, author of many books, uh, Sports Event Management and Marketing Playbook. Uh, to, to list all the books that he's written, we don't have time, so I'm just going to tell you he's written everything there is to know about this field. Uh, it, the matter at hand, everybody is so uh, legitimately so obsessed with uh, what I've never seen, nor you, I'm sure, in our lifetimes, and what it's done to the sports industry and life. Uh, in November of 63, the NFL decided whether or not to play games based on the Kennedy assassination. We've had mass shootings in Vegas, Orlando, Newtown, and other places. We've been on the cusp on that. Terrorism, natural disaster, has postponed uh, events 10 days for, for the uh, Leoma Preta earthquakes with the A's and the Giants. Obviously, we've had the 2003 Women's World Cup moved from China. We've had September 11 move the Ryder Cup a year. We've had the Olympics canceled because of two world wars in 16, 40, and 44, but nothing like this. I know that's a long prelude, but you could probably be the world expert on all of this. What's your broad sense of kind of where the industry has been, the whole notion of cancel versus postpone these major events? And Maybe something you can't answer, but maybe you can predict. When are we coming back from all this? Well, no, nobody can predict that. That's, that's out of anybody's area of expertise or, or prognostication. The fact of the matter is this is a worldwide phenomenon. It's pandemic. So it's not just one country and one culture. It's not just one sport. It's, it's uh, you know, because we've had that before when there's been a lockout or, or a strike. This is, this is an industry-wide phenomenon, and not just sports, any kind of large-scale event that draws people together. Um, you know, we're looking at the 4th of July <laughs> in the, in the long-range forecast, and you're saying, all right, are, are you able to do these big fireworks displays on the mall in Washington or on the East River in New York City? You know, is it wise or when will it be wise to put people back together as a group? What, what's going to happen in the sports industry, I'm sure, is there's going to be a, a long tail. 
uh, to this dragon. It, there'll be a time when it's going to be safe or relatively so for sports teams and athletes, competitors to get back together as a group um, and, and play on the gridiron, on the field, on the court, on the ice, uh, or on the racetrack. There's, there's every likelihood, though, that when that button gets pushed, there will be either no fans uh, initially in, in the stadium, which was really the first wave of activity um, when the pandemic first, first started to present itself. There was the plan to play in front of uh, empty stadiums, and a handful of uh, uh, leagues and teams around the world did that. Then it became pretty obvious that you know athletes and media and and uh, camera crews et cetera were were just as endangered by the pandemic, so that that stopped. Um, but you could see a, a situation where there's uh, opening days where there's no audience or a smaller audience. Um, they're still seated one beside the other. You're not going to see people, you know, three seats apart from each other. Um, and, and there may be some fan reticence also, uh, especially I would think among the older demographic, uh, that are just not prepared to come back to the stadium or to the track or to the arena right away. They, it may take them a little time to, uh, make sure in their own minds that they're safe coming back to the stadium. And the staggering of events as they roll back out, we've established that we have no idea when that is, and anybody that's going to guess is doing a disservice to the listener, I think. But assuming that there is a time where the, as people now say, the curve is flattened and we're ready to start focusing on when to get back, uh, do we see the natural order of things being the playing of the live events in empty stadiums primarily because of television and the stir-crazy nature of people wanting to watch something live, and then slowly the trickle back into spectator facilities, and then ultimately back to where it was? Or would you be bold enough to say it'll never get back to where it was? Oh, I think it'll get back to where it was, whether it's a year from now or two years or longer. I, I think that there will be. Uh, you know, this is not the first pandemic either um you know if you go back a hundred years and of course you didn't have as many stadiums in in for as many sports as big as they are now but but there was a need to isolate populations back then um eventually that went away and and then it became you know sort of forgotten i i i think that it'll take a long time for that to happen it may not be in our lifetime um, but, but yes, I think what, what's going to happen in the short term, and it's going to be very interesting from a, both from a fan and a business perspective, uh, there's going to be an awful lot of sports happening all at once um, and very suddenly. Um, call it from mid-August until mid-November, there are going to be a lot more things on top of each other than there have ever been before, where you've got a major event every weekend uh, where, you know, you, you would normally see a lot more space in between them. The question from a business perspective is whether the companies that would normally sponsor or advertise on those broadcasts 
whether they're going to be prepared to spend all of that money all at once, um, because right now they, they look at it, as you know, it, by the month or by the quarter, how they're going to spend their money. Are they going to spend it all in September, October, November, uh, or are they going to have to be more judicious and, and hold back a bit? Now, my prediction is going to be that the China is gradually opening its borders maybe quicker than otherwise to prove that they're recovered, and we're going to see uh, live Chinese volleyball, soccer, um, and basketball events in China before anything else. ESPN gobbles up the rights. Within a month, Frank Sapovitz, you and I will know every Chinese superstar volleyball <laughs> player because that's all we're going to be watching live in the U.S. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think again, you can look at the at the smaller uh, sports, and when I say smaller, I mean the numbers of people playing at any one time. So you brought up volleyball, which is a great example. Beach volleyball, you know, if we're talking about uh, you know doubles as an example, uh, you can see where that could end up being held on a beach somewhere a lot faster. Um, whether it's being played in Europe or it's being played in North America or in Brazil. Um, so I think, I think those things will come back faster than 22 guys on either side of, of uh, you know, on both sides of the line of scrimmage uh, or, or nine guys in the, in the field and, and uh, in the batting order. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a very good point. We haven't even begun to analyze all of that stuff, but we're not in front of the curve, no matter what people say, yet we will be. So let's talk for a couple of minutes about things in the industry that have been tossed around too glibly recently, cancel versus postpone. The IOC made the decision to postpone the 2020 Olympics until well, probably June, but certainly 2021. And the calculations according to Nico Securities study done and seen by Kyoto News was that the irrevocable loss would have been about 6.5 billion up to 75 billion in Japan's GDP if the event didn't happen now it'll happen but it'll happen a year later and the corporate revenues are going to be down about 25% and again it'll happen but a year later how do you evaluate the economics generally about postponing an event and the logistical concerns about postponing it now until a later date well if at all possible as as an event organizer or league a team you want to postpone rather than cancel cancel is irre- irrevocable you can't get it back uh, you can retool reschedule rethink it's going to cost you some money uh, because you have some sunk costs that you just won't be able to get back uh, you may have to pay people for a little bit longer because uh, you know the season is going to be reconfigured or the event is going to take place at a different time uh, again resources are going to be uh, a little bit more expensive and harder to come by when everything starts happening all at once uh, and, and a lot more activity is being, you know, shoved into a shorter period of time. There's, there's also going to be, from the professional sports perspective, there's also this very robust conversation right now, which I'm sure you're aware of, which is how much do I delay and endanger the, the normal start time of the next season uh, or the next quadrennial? So let's talk about the Olympics for a minute because, you know, 
hockey would be would be obvious if if they are playing the Stanley Cup as late as as August. Normally, they're playing preseason games in September. So you know you don't want to you don't want to push off two years worth of activity. You want to you want to keep it as 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 close to normal in in the next year as you can. But what's happening right now is people in, that are involved in the Beijing Olympics in, in, uh, in 2022 are getting really worried about the money that may be available to national governing bodies and, and through sponsors, because now you've got an Olympics in two successive years. And, and that's going to be, a, you know, unprecedented, clearly, because it, it's, it had been every other year. And back in the old days, it was, it was, you had the winter and the summer Olympics the same year and three years in between. Yeah. And, and, and you know got, what? You've got all of that happening one year after the other. And you know what I find really interesting, Frank Sapovitz, too, is that all of the pretending pundits, which are, who are usually wrong anyway, but never in doubt, are now talking about these preferred scenarios of what they'd like to see when seasons resume. And, of course, they're presupposing that it'll start on May 11. Why? Because the MLS picked a date and said, yeah, let's do it then, and then everybody assumes that's going to be fine. We're still going to revisit that date, I'm pretty sure. But now we're seeing the Game 6 uh, neutral site World Series Christmas Day scenarios and, of course, baseball and then of course everybody is saying well that's not good because the pitchers need more rest and all of that and you know people are ignoring the big picture which is everybody's trying as hard as they can to work out every logistical concern they possibly can based on your theory of not disturbing the next season but get as many games in as they can this season with all of these other considerations prying at them right well i think so and every organization is going to be in their own they're going to do their own calculus and, and it's going to be based on how much cash do I need, how quickly. Uh, so, so sports like hockey, for example, in the United States, is very, very dependent on uh, their gate revenue, much, uh, much less so on their media revenue like the NFL might be or the NBA might be. So, so they're going to want to get as many games in as possible, and they're going to, again, shrink their weeks which I think, if I remember right, they did in 1995 after the after the NHL lockout to get you know an extra game in a week uh, where they can. You, you don't want two seasons with asterisks. You yeah. want one. <laughs> Clearly. And, and yeah, that's really what it all comes down to. Well, and, and let's. <clears throat> I was going to say flatten the curve. Forget it. Let, let's broaden the business aspect of this for a second, because you have the ability to go beyond sports. In fact. You're researching, and we'll talk about it at some future date. A lot of other events, like the New Year's Eve in Times Square and Tournament of Roses parade, up to you know St. Paul Winter Carnival and Super Bowl Academy Awards. You look at events every month, Mardi Gras, and they're not just sports, but they're special events as well. Is there a? Will there be a kind of compendium or a um, a uh, opportunity to? identify best practices as these events recover, come back, some after cancellation, some after suspension, so the industry will be better from it? Will there be some common principles from which we can learn? I, I think the common principle is, is primarily 
um, and, and everybody's been exercising this, is safety is not negotiable. Uh, at the end of the day, your, your business is dependent upon your team, and it's dependent upon your fans, attendees, and guests. Um, and, and if you're endangering their safety, you're, doing, you're not doing the right thing. So everyone has done exactly the right thing for the right reason by either postponing or in some cases canceling. Some things you have to cancel. South by Southwest, you know, you need so much time to put the slate of concerts together, the slate of speakers together, and the content. Uh, and in, in doing that, it's just not possible to keep rolling it forward. Um, a race, a game, a competition, you can do that. So moving it forward makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, July 4th or Times Square, you know, Times Square is a really, that's going to be an interesting one. You know, we've got people shoulder to shoulder in what is normally the, the height of a flu season. Um, you know, the question of, of trying to prevent a, a second wave of outbreaks and things like that. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of head scratching. There's going to be a lot of consultation with the real experts who are, epidemiologists and, and, and the medical community to determine, you know, what's right and, and how you contain those things. We, we always, in the event business, we were always about, and, and I think still are, how many more people can we attract to what we're doing? How, is it a million people on the street in Times Square? Is it a half a million people on the FDR drive during the fireworks? You know, it, that is how we gauged everything, and and I think largely how we will continue to gauge everything. But the question is going to be what what the risks are at any given moment, based on a real real um, robust set of of uh, requirements, and in looking at where outbreaks are uh, in this particular outbreak, which can reemerge at some point either, you know, after people start coming back together or maybe even when the weather gets cold in the north again. So, you know, right now we predict um, thunderstorms. When you do an outdoor event, you want to keep your, your, uh, your guests and your staff safe during a thunderstorm. So you may have to unplug and, and, and stop what you're doing. Uh, and get people under the stadium. In this case, it might be that we have to forecast disease outbreaks like we forecast thunderstorms. Well, I will tell you this. In all of the daunting hypotheticals and reality that's befalling us in this unprecedented time, I'm really glad we have Frank Sapovitz around to share his infinite wisdom on this. There will be more from you and certainly hearing more about this issue. Frank, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Rick Harrell, be back in a few minutes. Frank Zapovitz gives us a very interesting and incredibly unique perspective. And by the way, his book, What to Do When Things Go Wrong, a five-step guide to planning for and surviving the inevitable and coming out ahead, a must-read for anybody in this business. He'll certainly track the recovery as we go forward. Frank will be a regular guest with us. Let's talk about tech and the Sports Tech Minute. Well, no actual rubber, rubber hitting the road at Indy, no problem. They kick off the iRacing Challenge at Indy. Saturday, the first of six iRacing Challenge events. 
on a virtual Watkins Glen road course track. Driver Sage Karam wins the race. And according to the Indianapolis Star, participants and podium finishers, including teams and drivers such as Chip Ganassi's racing Felix Rosenquist and Gamebridge Andretti Autosports' Zach Veach, all agreed the overall result amounted to a positive. Both IndyCar and iRacing YouTube streams consistently combined for 45,000 fans throughout the race, with more on other platforms. New tweaks will follow in the coming weeks, and new tracks and selection processes, and a flurry of other IndyCar and guest drivers alike. Each race will be streamed live on IndyCar.com, as well as YouTube, Facebook Live, iRacing's Twitch channel, while the current 2020 NTT IndyCar season is suspended. Each 90 to 120 minute virtual race event will be held each Saturday through May 2. And to enhance the fan experience, IndyCar will also conduct a 15 minute pre race virtual autograph session. Esports coming out well in this industry. And that's the Sports Tech Minute. Welcome into the Esports Minute of Keeping Score. I'm Mitch Reams from the Esports Network. Esports betting is taking off in the hiatus of traditional sports, but not without controversy. In Nevada, the Gaming Control Board is allowing casinos to put out lines for the Counter-Strike ESL Pro League in North America. In addition, DraftKings is expanding beyond League of Legends into CSGO Daily Fantasy as well. Esports betting has already been on the radar for many sportsbooks, especially ones that operate overseas, but COVID-19 has accelerated timelines for American companies. But betting is a complicated industry, as Riot Games is finding out right now. The developer of League of Legends had to issue a fine of nearly half a million dollars after a player in the top division in China was found to be match-fixing. Esports players are ripe for bribes, as they are generally young, careers last only about three years on average, and there's less oversight from governing bodies. In addition, contracts just aren't that high either. That's it for this Esports Minute. Now back to Rick Hora. Finally, power of sports. There is more. There it continues to be more. And it's an incredible time in society, especially giving back. La Liga's FIFA tournament helped raise funds for coronavirus relief efforts. In Spain, the competition broadcast Friday and Saturday paid sports package, but also to raise money. DraftKings partners with United Way to sport rally caps for coronavirus relief teamed up to raise a million bucks. NBA star Joel Embiid donates a half million to combat the coronavirus, also supports his 76ers stadium staff. DC sportscasters team up to raise funds for the coronavirus effort. Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving donates 323000 in meals and charity to the new epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. The bottom line is, the harder it gets, the more people step up. We will continue to cover various contributions and that's your Power of Sports Minute. We'd like to thank Frank Sapovich for his compelling knowledge. We'll continue to have his insights on a regular basis. We'd like to thank you for listening and watching. This is a very important time in our world history. We'll continue to keep you all things coronavirus posted on the economics in the sports industry and how it impacts the world. Rick Harrow will continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.